ladies and gentlemen, tonight, the reigning, defending, 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 undisputed, universal, heavyweight champion, Wildcat Radio 2.0, bear down, you beautiful people. Welcome to Wildcat Radio 2.0. Bear down all day, every day. This is Brian Conger. Thank you for tuning in. We are your podcast source for Arizona football news, Arizona basketball news, and Arizona recruiting news. A couple of big announcements to make. We've been teasing this out. It's finally come to fruition. Saul Bookman has decided to join Wildcat Radio to host a weekly show, The Saul Bookman Show, on this podcast, dropping every Monday covering Arizona football, Arizona basketball, guest appearances, and more. We're so thrilled to have him on. If you are not familiar with Saul, he is amazing, very respected in the Tucson community. He covered Arizona football and basketball for the Daily Wildcat and did a tremendous job just bringing professionalism and covering this team like nobody has. And we're so thrilled to have him on board hosting a weekly show and get excited for that. He's going to start recording this coming week. So right after the Washington game, get excited. Change number two, we're going to have a lot more audience interaction. That means more contests, more ways to answer questions, more ways to engage with people on Twitter. Very, very excited about this with Saul's new show with Adam and Roddy cranking out excellent content. It's going to free me up to be able to do a lot more work in terms of uh, just coming up with new and creative ways to work with our listeners. I I love our listeners. You guys are great. You've been with us for years. We want to find ways to to just be able to reward that uh, following and to grow the podcast. So stay tuned for that. Change number three. There's a reason we started this podcast. There's a reason that we watch basketball and football for four hours every week. And that's because of the players that we see on the field. It's because of the Arizona community. And it's because the team that we grew up with and this program that we've grown up with has just provided a tremendous amount of joy. And we want to focus our podcast and this show, whether it's Saul Bookman's show, whether it's Ronnie and Adam, whether it's our contests, whether it's shows that myself, Rob, and Rick put together, we want to focus that on why we decided to, to launch this podcast in the first place. And that's the joy that we get from the game. So just know that we're going to integrate all three of those changes and make sure to stay tuned. In the meantime, Rob, Rick, and I recorded a podcast celebrating Arizona's win over Colorado. Big win in altitude in Buffalo on the road, coming back with a W and facing a Washington team that we can beat. And by the way, Ronnie and Adam have a podcast that they're recording with our friends at the Dog Pod, the Washington podcast that's coming down, by the way, for this game. And they record an interview breaking down that game. So stay tuned for that. But also make sure to tune in on Monday for the Saul Bookman show. Really excited to have him along. If there was one person that we wanted to grab that we thought was uh, just had a history of covering this program in a way that we wanted to have uh, represented on Wildcat Radio with Saul. So very excited for that. Stay tuned. And here's our podcast. Welcome back, Wildcats, to Wildcat Radio, the home of the first place Arizona football program in the Pac-12 South, 4-1. and one. That's right, 4-1, and one, you naysayers. 4-1, and one, Rob, you, shame on you. You didn't think we'd have any fun this week. 
<laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. Very, very excited. A big week to talk about. Thank you for tuning in. Follow us on Twitter, Wildcat Radio AZ at Wildcat Radio AZ. And joined, as always, is Mr. Rick DeNice, the president of the uh, Advanced College Football Statistical Model Beta Rank. What's up, Rob? <laughs> So you introduced Rick Denice as the president. Yeah, I was, it's a coup. It's a coup. Stop, I, stole, I stole your thunder. I'm sorry. Congratulations. Congratulations. I, keep, I, love, I, I love doing no work and getting all the credit. It's great. I'm keeping all of this in, by the way. I'm keeping it in. Uh, no, what's, what's up, Rob? I'm sorry. So Rob Barron, of course, the president, creator, founder, facilitator, lover of the Beta Rank Advanced College Football Statistical Model. What's up, man? How are you? I am just, I am so excited. This this Arizona team is a lot of fun. The defense isn't as bad as we thought they might be. Um, just lots, lots of good things to talk about. Mm. And throwing his weight around here at the corporate board, <laughs> Mr. Rick DeNice. What's up, Rick? What's up, guys? It seems like uh, forever ago I was crapping all over this Arizona team for losing at Hawaii, and now here we are. So... I'm a, I'm going to backpedal real hard right now. And here we are. And before we start, Rob, I'm feeling exceptionally generous today. I you've been selected to participate in this contest. Behind one there's three doors. Behind one is a million dollars cash, tax free. The second door is a free car, and behind the other door is a surprise. Um go, wait, do you want to pick door number 1, door number 2 or door number 3? Oh, I'm clearly taking door number one. Surprise! It's the Vivid Seat Studio that we're in. If you want a Vivid Seat Studio, where you can download their app and use the promo code Overtime and get $100 off of your ticket purchase. Isn't that exciting? That is that is almost as exciting as a million dollars tax free. <laughs> so close. So close. We are in the Vivid Seat Studio, clothing optional, and we're coming to you. Uh, t- we're going to break down this entire Arizona game. Thanks again. So... Arizona 35, Colorado 30, on the road, in altitude, against, against Steven Montez, the, the pizza-eating, the pizza football-throwing Red Baron himself. We came out up by five. Um, I, I just, to, to be frank, this was a really, really fun game. Um, I went back and forth in the second half. I was really thrilled by the way the offense showed out. I thought the defense did just enough to win the game, which is frankly what you need um, when you have somebody like Khalil Tate playing that the way he did. Rick, you know, we, we've been we've been breaking down the Pac-12 forever for about an hour on 12-pack radio, so need some fresh enthusiasm. What did you think yeah. about this game? Well, you know, I, it, it was one of those games where it was such a back and forth affair that you really didn't know who was going to come out on top. And, you know, it was, I guess the thing, let, let's start out with the things that I was really surprised by. Uh, number one, I was surprised we only had one penalty. That was uh, a, an amazing turn of events considering how we had been trending uh, through the first uh, part of our schedule, especially in the non-con. Number two, um, I felt like the play calling was, especially in the offense, side of the ball, um, pretty exceptional. And I, I felt like that they really took, um, you know, advantage of, uh, you know, some of the stuff that Colorado was throwing at them, um, and, and really found, um, some nice, nice passes down the seam. And third, you know, I, I, I didn't know exactly what to expect with Khalil Tate, um, you know, coming out cold, not playing in the last game. 
um, you know, and, and really was surprised at how accurate and how on point he was, you know, he threw that one interception, but man, those touchdowns were, were right, um, right on the money. And, and, you know, I, I thought he played really well and, and, you know, guys, like one thing that we talk about and, you know, I, I'm, I'm not kind of bouncing all over the place cause I'm a little excited, but you know, one thing we've talked about is with Kevin Sumlin coming in, you know, what does our, our depth start to look like? And, you know, if this is any indication, I know we're just in year two, but, you know, honestly having that running back and that quarterback depth, the last two games has really showed out and, and it's something to really be excited about. Cause you know, I, I, I can think back to a couple rich rod years, um, especially, you know, two, three years ago where, man, we lose our starter and there ain't much, there, there ain't a lot behind him. So, um, you know, again, I think a lot of really great things, but those are kind of just some of my early observations. Yeah. Khalil Tate, 31 of 41, 404 yards, three touchdowns, one completely inappropriate, disgusting pick, uh, you know, running back five yards, cross body, throws a duck and, you know, just gets caught. He actually did two of those. One of them just didn't get picked off, but minus those two mistakes and one of them only cost Arizona. He looked awesome. Like he, he really did. Like you mentioned, Rick, he was throwing dimes out there. He was hitting his wide receivers. Um, he was giving this offense a chance to actually move forward. And although, Colorado stuffed the run. Um, I, I think that goes exactly to what you were talking about, Rick, where the play calling here was exceptional. Once again, I saw a lot of Arizona beat writers talking about Arizona's need to run the ball. And that was absolutely the strength of Colorado's defense. Like Colorado has one of the worst uh, secondaries in the country and Arizona took full advantage, Rob. Yeah, absolutely. We talked about this coming into the game. Colorado exits the game at 126 and pass uh, effective pass and beta rank at 45 against the run. This this secondary got lit up by everyone except Air Force and Air Force is just ground and pound. Um, and Arizona came in with the game plan to do it. They they came in planning to throw the ball, planning to exploit this secondary, and they did. And and credit to them for doing it. And you know they I think they ran enough to sort of keep the defense honest. But Arizona's wide receivers were running free, and and Tate is a a, a different passer when he has um, options where he can throw the ball more on a line. I think it, those are a lot easier throws than trying to throw a, you know, uh, sort of a uh, drop the ball on a bucket over over a defensive back draped over you know a wide receiver's back. Like he had some really terrific deep throws in this game that were more on a line, and I I, I hope that that's more of a what we're going to see from him in the future, and hopefully from Arizona's wide receivers receivers too because they need to do their part and do more to get open against good defenses and this colorado secondary was not good but um i also we should give credit to arizona's defense um i I think a lot of people are focusing on the number of points that they gave up but they had some pretty terrible field position in this game and colorado's got a good offense they grade out a number 21 in beta rank this week so giving up you know 30 points on the road to that offense with that kind of field position um, that they had like arizona's defense actually comes out of this as as high as they've been in years they're number 42 on defense Ooh, buddy let's talk a little bit more offense before we get to defense because i want to highlight some of the players that really stood out and were everywhere and one particular uh just comes to mind but 11 players caught a pass 
<laughs> in this game. 11, 11 wide receivers or pass catchers, um, which is really fun. So Drew Dixon, Booby Curry, Bam Smith, uh, Cunningham, Jamari Joyner, Brian Castile, Cedric Peterson, like everybody got a pass. And the offense looked like it was moving and grooving, and uh, particularly in the second half. Moving over to the to the running side of the ball, you're right. We did run just enough to keep uh, Colorado on their toes, but, man, we didn't look great doing it. Uh, Gary Brightwell, 11 of 27. J.J. Taylor, 1 of 4. I think he's probably re-injured. I will have to go back and take a look at that. Um, but Nathan Tilford siding, two touchdowns for our guy. Right on, man. Keep those pads low. Get those touchdowns. Yeah. It seems like they're using him as that goal line back. I really liked that. Uh, did you? Did you? What did you think about that, Rob? Yeah, I thought the the Tilford was great in the goal line situation. I think he's he's a guy that Arizona and and they have used him not just in goal line, but he's a guy that Arizona as they do you know I think Arizona's offensive line is struggling to create holes on the inside, um, and I think this was was true a little bit last year even with the terrific running up you know numbers that they put up. Tilford and uh, not Castile, Tilford and Brightwell are guys that. You know, you're going to have to have, um, you know, hit in games if if Arizona is going to be able to run inside. So um, seeing more and more of Tilford, I think, is good for Arizona. Yeah. And I would I would say, too, um, just to piggyback off of Rob's point, when you look at the scheme, um, it, when they're pulling their guards and you're getting guys out on the uh, on the edge, they have a lot more success than inside. And, and I think it's it's just a matter of that that unit gelling because they've had better games, especially in the non-conference and, and arguably against weaker teams. Although Texas tech did just beat Oklahoma state this, this uh, past weekend. So, you know, there's, there's been um, some bright spots, but I think it's, it's more um, running it with some regularity and, and running it with confidence and, and having that offensive line continue to work through, continue to gel because for the most part, they've been pretty healthy thus far. Um, the other thing too, with JJ Taylor, I think he only got one series in um, before he was actually pulled out and, and either pulled himself, out or they made the call on it so i don't know if it's a if it's an ankle issue or or you know some other part of the leg but um you know jj taylor is uh you know i think a game-changing back and you saw that on that first series just finding you know a little bit of yardage where there might not have been any um but you know having guys like gary brightwell nathan tilford come into his own michael wiley you know i think that there's a lot of um and bam smith obviously there's a lot of good uh, talented guys um, that, that, you know, I think they can do a great job for us moving through, um, you know, the back half of the Pac-12 schedule. Moving over the defense here. Well, I wanted to say like, and one thing that Tate did well is that we haven't always seen him do in games and we really didn't see him do last year. He hit Wiley and Smith for eight passes. Um, and that's something that the check down's almost always available and the backs are relied upon to catch passes in, in a Mazzoni offense. And, and Tate, I, I think, you know, making that turn and being able to find those guys could really open up a lot for this offense. Oh, yeah. Good. I, I forgot about that because there's a couple times I just went, <gasps> he checked it down. You know, it was like a two yard pass. But I'm like he celebrating at the bar. Yeah, <laughs> like he did it. <laughs> Um, moving over the defense. So Steven Montez, we had, we had previewed Colorado and I apologize for releasing that a little bit late. It was just a really tough week. Um, but we got, we got all our ducks in a row now. And, but during that preview, one of the things we were saying was that this was a big test for Arizona secondary because the wide receivers, even with LaVisca Chenault out, the wide receivers for Colorado are good. And Steven Montez is a good Pac-12 quarterback like that, that he he can throw the ball around. He usually makes pretty good decisions. And this entire game, 
Rick, I was watching Montez play and he just looked off there. He just did not look like he had figured out the defense or he didn't look comfortable. And I know Arizona didn't sack him a ton. Uh, I have to go back and look at the sack numbers, but we did pressure him and made him make mistakes or made him throw the ball away, particularly on third down. It was, I just thought that it was a really good, um, it, it was a great barometer game for Arizona secondary and Arizona's ability to pressure a quarterback. You know, it was interesting too. And I don't know if you guys noticed this, but when you look at, I, I don't know how many uh, quarterback pressures or hurries um, there were, I don't have those figures in front of me, but um, you saw a lot of pressure coming up through the, the middle of that defensive line from guys like Fenton Connolly. I think JB Brown was in there a few times. Um, you know, a couple of our, 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 the guys that came from the uh, Juco ranks that have kind of come into their own the last couple games. Um, so that was a really nice thing to see with how much, how much they were up in his face and while we didn't have the sacks to kind of show um show for it I, you know i think in terms of the uh the amount of pressure that he was feeling all game and the amount of um you know time in in the first half i thought he had um you know a few plays where he had way too much time and i was sitting there holding my breath going oh man he's going to hit a receiver for a 35 yard gain it happened a few times i thought in the second half they did a really great job at uh, adjusting a little bit um you know kind of mixing in some different stunts and then you know really getting you know again some pressure from the backers to to kind of keep him off tilt so um i again you know he had what two, 28 for 42 for 299 yards. But, um, you know, with a, with a, I think he's a fifth year senior quarterback. Um, you know, he only had a QBR of 56.6. So I thought, you know, overall a really, really great job, um, you know, pressuring and keeping him off, off balance the whole game. Yeah. Gave up 159 yards on the ground. Uh, Oof. Yeah, yeah. But, but like, uh, frankly, I like, I like those, those running backs for Colorado. I know it's not the strength. I know in beta rank, I think they were in the seventies, Rob, going yeah, but their into this offensive game. line is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like there's no, I mean, they, and they, they stunk all season and they, man, there were a couple times in that game where you watched, you know, them get their guard or their tackle out and seal off one of our yeah. linebackers, whether it was fields or pandy or schooler. And I mean, that is, if you want it, like I'm, like this defense kudos to them they had a good they had a very good game as that hawaii game is starting to carry less weight in beta rank like this defense is starting to look better which is good but the defensive line again like if if you had any kind of defensive line being able to to to, you know cause trouble get off blocks you know have a few more tackles for a loss like this could be this could actually be an excellent defense because i think what the strength of this defense is really in coverage okay well and and Oh, sorry. I was just going to, and to comment on that too. I mean, especially in that first half, some of those runs that they got outside the tackles on, I mean, our ends were completely sealed. Um, and, yeah. and we were getting second and third level. Uh, they were getting to the second and third level, uh, frequently. Um, and, and so to, to your point, Rob, I think that obviously if, if there's a weakness that we've been talking about throughout this year so far, the defensive ends, um, whether it be in, you know, pressuring the quarterback and actually having, um, you know, some of that outside, uh, you know, leverage and, and being able to beat those tackles off the point of attack or whether it's in the run game, that's still an area of concern that I think needs to get fixed and, and needs to get addressed. Because when you go and play somebody like Oregon, for example, I think Oregon is going to have a field day if we can't get Get off our blocks, especially on the edge. You got to random my parade, guys. Okay, all right. <laughs> we, we haven't even talked special teams yet. Come on, come on. <laughs> Let's not talk special teams. Let's uh, uh, 
I did want to highlight, I thought Tony Fields had himself a really good game. So if you look at the box score here, you have, and I watched this whole game, so I'm not stat counting. Yeah, Tony Fields had 11 total tackles, and Nate Landman for Colorado had 11 total tackles. And I would argue there was a big difference between the games that those two guys had on opposing teams. Whereas Nate Landman was getting that second level tackling, right? It was like tackles out of necessity. And I just love the fact like Fields was where he needed to be in the right spots, where like at the right time. And those 11 tackles were significantly more important to Arizona than the 11 tackles of, oh, no, I need to tackle this guy before they get, you know, 10, 15 yards down the field, which is what happened with Landman. So he really stood out to me. I mean, Schooler had himself a pretty good game. But anybody else stick out for you, Rob, when you were taking a look at uh, at Arizona's defensive performance? I mean, I think you have to give credit to to, to the coverage here. I, you know, yes, Montez, you know, threw for. Um, quite a few yards against this defense and, and had a decent average, you know, at 7.1 per, but I mean, I, I, I think given, given how Colorado generally moves the ball, like the, the coverage was good. And these guys are tough to cover. This is as, as good. I mean, with you, you would say with this Colorado set of wide receivers and, you know, you, you'd put them, I'd put them ahead of ASU, maybe right up there with Washington state set of wide receivers in the conference and, and USC, like, this is a really talented set of guys, and uh, I thought the secondary, even though they gave up some yards, like I thought they did a really good job. I, I would I would put USC's at a whole nother level, but I but I I, I get your point where this is a very talented uh, wide receiver. Who, who goes first, Pittman or Chenault? I, who, Although Arizona I, didn't have to cover Chenault, so I would rather have fair. Pittman on my team, and I don't think it's close. Actually, yeah. like yeah, I, I, really? I yeah, yeah. I, I like Chenault, but like. I've watched a lot of Colorado. I've watched way more Colorado football than I need to. He's very talented. He will get drafted in the NFL. But if you were on my college team, I, I would. De- Pittman, I think, is the more talented receiver. But, uh, but we can disagree. I, well, I also think I, I, if you look at Pittman, just um, you know, from a physicality standpoint, and also his ability to go up and, and get the ball, it reminds me a lot of those prototypical USC receivers that you have. That, you know, you see have so much success in the NFL, and you know, Lavisca Chenault, I think, will have a, a great career in the NFL as well. But um, I think Pittman has a chance to really be a star. Well, with all that said, though, like the wide receiving core is quite good, and and again, it was this was a big test for Arizona secondary, and uh, and they pulled through. Like this was this was a big win. Can we just talk for a moment about Big Balls Mel Tucker with the double reverse Katie Nixon touchdown throw? Like <laughs> that was oh my gosh! I was like I wanted Arizona to win. I had no money on this game. Like I and I was like. I was openly celebrating the fact that somebody did that, you know, like I, I didn't want it to actually, I didn't want him to complete it, but I'm like, Oh my gosh, look what he just did. It was just such a cool play, Rick. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you, you got to hand it to them as well, because I mean, they came, you know, piggybacked right off of, uh, um, you know, the play before. And, and, you know, I thought it was the perfect time to kind of call that and, and, you know, whip that out. So, I mean, hats off to them on, on that play call. They also did a like a reverse end around too for about 15 yards with uh, Tony Brown. That was also really impressive. Yeah. So um, they they definitely not not afraid to pull out the trickery, particularly in really key spots. Yeah, I thought it was you hit the nail on the head right after a turnover. They go for the jugular and they hit it. Um, now yeah. just Arizona showed some grit and was able to come back into the game. But when that happened, I was like, I was when when the play happened, I'm like, yeah. And then after after they hit it, I'm like, <laughs> oh no, like, this is really bad. I really don't want that to. It, but I just love football. I love good football plays, and that was pretty fun. Um, 
let, let's talk let let's talk special teams for a moment because my goodness uh, there is no excuse for catching the ball on your five yard line um and fair catching it <laughs> there's none oh none like even if it rolls a few more yards yeah you're on your goal line but like just and i think that happened it was multiple times or whatever it was like we just were our special teams has not been able to do anything really this entire year. And, and it really did hurt the team in terms of their ability to score. Now, fortunately, the offense stepped up. Fortunately, the defense stepped up, but not doing us any favors here, Rob. No, I mean, there's a reason that that special teams right now grades out at 117 in beta rank and, and it's really holding the team back. I mean, if if Arizona special teams were just Pac-12 average, they would they would be, you know, close far closer to Utah where Utah and Arizona State grade out in the 20s in beta rank than at 48. So uh, with the with the strides the defense has made and where the offense is at, like the fact that special teams is still so bad is just kind of a bummer. And it it does feel like a missed opportunity because it's a a place where you really could have gone out and gotten uh, you know, a, a like everybody else has an Australian punter that's almost thirty. What what, what were we doing? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, our our average is forty one yards, and I, I there were a couple times during that game where you saw Colorado punt it, and you go, wow, like that, you know, what a great punt, um, you know, and, and they really buried us down there, um, and and it was a you know fifty five sixty yard punt. And then, you know, we're sitting here at a 40, yeah, 40 yard average um, with a long of 48. And, you know, it's never like a coffin corner. It's never like, you know, maybe get some backward spin in there to, to try and, you know, make sure that your gunners, you know, get underneath it. It's always like right into the end zone. And I just it, it boggles my mind how bad we are. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens uh, as they go forward. I just uh, it's it's the it's the bugaboo of Arizona the last couple of years. And um but hopefully it won't cost us as we go up against Washington now. All right. What'd you think? Best freaking podcast you've ever heard? You're darn right. Stay tuned for Ronnie and Adam as they preview Washington again on Monday. The Saul Bookman Show premieres on Wildcat Radio. In the meantime, we also recorded a 12-pack radio podcast previewing the full week seven slate and gambling lines from Sports Illustrated's Max Meyer and uh, reviewed a little bit of week six. So uh, always a good podcast. Figured we throw this on for you diehard Pac-12 fans. Take a listen. Before we get into our our week seven preview and going through the week six games, it's hard to believe it's October already, guys. The college season is just heating up and my bookie, whom, whom I, I have, have been a, a patron and, and am a patron of, uh, so near and dear to my heart. Uh, they give you more reason to get into the action, not only on your point spread in total, but my bookie offers in-game wagering. So track the action and movement as the games take place. Uh, game props, playoff odds, Heisman, national championship, you name it. You can basically bet on anything on my bookie. And um, I have something in the back of my mind that might be a surprise for our listeners as we uh, move forward in the podcast. But really, that just scratches the surface. Um, we've teamed up with MyBookie this October to give you a great offer. Sign up uh, at MyBookieAG, MyBookie.ag, and use the promo code OVERTIME, and they will match your first deposit. Again, the promo code OVERTIME, and for new users, for their first deposit, doubled. And uh, I've done this. They actually, it works. Like that, 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 is, that is a legit offer. Um, take advantage of it. Free money. Get out there and get those bets going. Uh, MyBookie.ag, you pay, you win, and you get paid. And let's talk about getting paid right now with our week seven picks. Hey, um, can I get some Pac-12 gambling advice up in here? Is William Shatner? You want it? Pac-12 gambling lines? You got it. Nice. You want it? Baby, just bust a move. Okay. 
All right, we're back. Week seven. Five games, not four. Five. We each get an extra one. USC at Notre Dame coming up. And some interesting matchups. Max, you had mentioned uh, just kind of being curious. And before we were recording the podcast, you were talking about some of the favorites out there. Let's start Friday at 7 p.m. Fox Sports 1. Colorado is a 20.5 point underdog going on the road into Autzen Stadium. And that that number first emerged at 14, but I'm always a little bit curious because I always use odd shark and odd shark. Sometimes that opening line might be like one place they found it at one moment in time, but it seemed to have opened at 14 and I'm like scrambling to find where I can get that. And then lo and behold, like an hour later, 20 and a half is what it actually opened with at bet online and a number of other books. I guess we should start with Colorado's uh, game against Arizona Colorado 30, Arizona 35. And I watched this entire game. I was, it was quite fascinating, very fun, very back and forth. But Max, I'm curious what you saw when you were watching Arizona go uh, to altitude and knock off the buffs. Well, I have to say, first off, what, who opened at 14? Because I, I mean, I, I usually, I use circus sports out in Vegas and their openers for like official openers to look at just because they've been really setting the market this year for college football. And they opened it at 22. Oh, and okay. I currently see it at 21. So if, if, if a book actually opened that game at 14, fire your odds makers <laughs> um, regarding, regarding Arizona, Colorado, or yeah. Uh, so really slow offensive start, but then <laughs> the big plays happened with like two started happening like two minutes to go in the first half. And, it, and Khalil Tate, I, I was really impressed with how he performed. Uh, I just feel like Colorado kind of that, that defense with all the injuries, they ran out of gas. And the, I mean, it's, it's too bad because they do have some really talented pieces and they were, they were really resilient in their first couple games. But if you lose that type of high end talent in Chenault, and Mustafa Johnson, it, it's going to really be tough to compete, even against an Arizona team that I think is fine, but it isn't uh, a true Pac-12 contender. So, I mean, and I, I was I was surprised that Colorado. Well, I guess like I was saying, with the injuries, like I was surprised that, that people were betting on this before the injuries were announced. But I saw that when Tate and Taylor were announced, they were playing, and Taylor didn't even really play all that much. That the betting market was just hammering Arizona. And I think that that game closed at two and a half Colorado. So yeah, a lot of explosive plays uh, in this game, which is kind of what I would have figured with Tate playing and with the state that the two defenses are in and definitely a nice road win for Arizona. They're four and one. So they're one win away from matching uh, last year's total and good game planning by the coach. One of the things that we had talked about on this podcast and beta has highlighted extensively is Colorado's just terrible, terrible pass defense. And when you compound the fact that they had a number of players injured in that secondary in this game as well, they had bad defense with, with the people that weren't even able to make it onto the field playing in that bad defense in terms of pass coverage and Arizona just gashed them. It was interesting. I was looking at Arizona's numbers in terms of their running. I mean, woof Gary Brightwell, 11 for 27, Nathan Tilford, five for 23. And a couple of those were just touchdown runs, but really Arizona ended up saying like, we can throw against this team and let Khalil Tate sling it around. He was 31 for 41. 400 plus yards, three touchdowns, one terrible, terrible pick. Um, and, and he probably should have had two terrible, terrible picks. Those traditional Khalil Tate runs 
five yards, throws crossbody, jumps in the air and just prays to God that somebody gets it. Um, and lo and behold, uh, somebody did get it, but it was a Colorado player. But outside of those two plays, he really was able to show how talented he was uh, with the, through the air against a pretty bad pass defense. But still, you want to see those numbers if you're an Arizona fan. And here they are at four and one. Rob, what do you think? I thought it was a really, like, as you pointed out, and we had hammered on um, because a lot of folks in the Arizona media are just like, run the ball, run the ball. But this was not a team to try to run the ball on. Um, after Even after the game, Colorado comes out of the week at number 126 against the pass in beta rank, but number 45 against the run. Like, so clearly it was not a good game to run the football. And, and Tate had a good game. I mean, other than the, you know, normal Khalil Tate interception like passes his uh, he, he was able to find routes that you don't always see Tate hit. Um, and that, that is, that will be good. I think if they can sort of extend that into the future, but one of the sneaky things coming out of this game is Arizona's defense actually had a pretty good game. And I know that that sounds weird because they gave up 35 points, but Colorado has a good offense and Arizona had terrible field position in this game, uh, especially on defense. They were not set up well by their special teams. So out of this game, Arizona's defense comes out at 42, which is the highest they've been ranked in like almost seven years. Um, and they've been coming up as that Hawaii game sort of bleeds out. So Arizona's, I mean, what's really hurting them now is their special teams, but they're by no means a sort of Pac-12 contender, but they are a far more dangerous team, I think, than, I mean, Beta Rank's been off on them as that Hawaii game has sort of held them back. But uh, as that's sort of bleeding out of the model, like they've been rising and that defense has been rising and um, they, they sort of have figured out ways to do enough. Yeah, on the flip side, we have Cor- uh, Corgan, Oregon, 17, Cal, 7. And I watched a lot of this game, and it is it is a wonderful feeling not have to sweat out a line. <laughs> like, I took Cal, and I took the under, and at the, no point, Max, in this game were those bets. And I know you were on the, these as well. There was no point in this game where those were in trouble. And, and, and like you mentioned, because of a lot of the turnovers that happened in the red zone and some fumbles that happened on Oregon's side, for a while, it looked like Cal had an opportunity. And there was this one play where modster had the ball and it was they were in duck territory and it was third and six or third and seven and he runs and he clearly gets the first down except that he slid before the first down marker and they ended up a yard shy cal misses the field goal and when that happened i went oh cal like that was that was your chance because you're not going to get many more points on the board after this and lo and behold they didn't max what what did cal do that um that really just put Oregon on its heels from basically all but I would say a third of the game. And then Oregon really started figuring it out and got it together on the offensive side. But I loved Oregon's defense. That's another story. But what stood out for you in this game? Well, I don't know. I like, I don't think it was really what Cal did. I think it was more what Oregon did to itself. So I, the, the turnovers definitely played a role because I'll admit I was sweating in the beginning when Oregon got to, because the first drive, they just ran the ball down their throats and they had this brutal penalty. And then that put them, I think it was second or third and long. And then Herbert threw that interception to Ashton Davis. And, and then after that, uh, die fumbled when he, when they went for it on fourth down and he was trying to extend to the marker and they knocked it out there. Like, like, like turnovers are not, they're not a consistent measure. And, and it's uh, turnover. I mean, Colorado was leading the country in turnovers forced. Uh, early on and they only were able to force one against Arizona. I feel like that's kind of what was keeping that defense afloat with turnovers. 
And you saw that when they were struggling uh, with Arizona, they just weren't forcing any turnovers. And that's where that defense got exposed. So with, with Cal, um, they, they, that's what kept that game afloat. What were the early turnovers? And they did have one great drive, but then after that Oregon defense just shut them down. And I do, I actually, I really like Christopher Brown. He's, he's, he's a big back. He's tough to tackle, but I, Oregon, uh, and, and Cal also, they lost, uh, I think they had two starting offensive linemen that were already out, uh, heading into this game and they lost two more that, that offensive line is just now filled with backups. And it's definitely tough against a talented Oregon front seven. If, if your offensive line is, is that unhealthy. Um, and then, or, and then like we were saying with the Oregon play calling, um, I mean, for, for the run game, it was nice to see Herbert keep a couple of those zone reads. Cause I, I think that that is something that, uh, he'll be able to gain yards for just because of how often he's been giving it to the back on those, but they averaged, uh, 6.5 yards per throw and 4.8 yards per rush yet they only threw it 33 times and they ran it 40 times. So it, it's just, it's stubborn play calling. It's Mario Cristobal's uh, identity that he wants just to, you know, run it down your throat, physical football. When instead you have healthy wide receivers. And I was really, really impressed with Michael Pittman, uh, Mike USC wide receiver, Michael Pittman's younger brother. I, I thought he looked great in his season debut. Breland is a matchup nightmare at tight end. And if CJ Verdell is out and that injury didn't look good, if he's out for a while, I think that they should be throwing the ball more uh, instead of trying to um, maintain this physical run game. So if Oregon like had like, if Oregon had strong play calling throughout the season, I, I think that this is a top 10 team, but the fact that Arroyo is such a negative as offensive coordinator, I think that's what's holding this. It's interesting because you see the grumbles on Twitter and actually had somebody that is a really smart football fan tweet at me that, <laughs> basically saying that Justin Herbert sucked. They're like, what are you talking about? Like Justin Herbert is good. Justin Herbert has bad play callers. And, uh, and, and that's just, that that's just a fact. Like that guy can sling the ball. Is he a number one draft pick? Probably not. And did he have too much hype coming into last year? Yes, he did. But he's still an excellent quarterback and should be moving that offense. I absolutely agree with you, Rob. When you take a look at the matchup coming up, where does Colorado and where do Oregon place in general in beta rank? Yeah. So Oregon comes in right now at number 11. Um, they are, uh, you know, really buoyed by their number two defense. They're at number 50 on offense. So like they have some things to figure out there, but I, I would say Herbert had a pretty good game against still an excellent Cal secondary. Um, Colorado's at number 64, 21 on offense, one Oh eight on defense, uh, really, really struggling on defense, uh, there for the Buffaloes. And you, you saw that in that game, uh, against Arizona, whereas Arizona was just able to light them up through the air. Um, beta rank has this as Oregon has a 92% win probability and it has them right around where Vegas has it as a, a, a 21.74 favorite for the ducks. Matt, Outside of turnovers, what does Colorado need to do to stay within that 20 and a half point spread? Uh, they're going to have to score points on offense because I have much more faith in that unit than I do in the defense, even though I think Oregon's defense is better than their offense this season. But especially if, if they can get LaVisca Chanel back, um, that would be a, a major help. But also, I mean, Colorado's had some trick plays that have really worked, like uh, Katie Nixon yeah. had an amazing uh, throw against Arizona that ended up in a touchdown on a, on a reverse pass. 
And who can forget that flea flicker from, from your own one yard line against Nebraska. So definitely, I, I mean, uh, Jay Johnson, I, I think we might, I might've criticized him too heavily in the beginning of the year, but you just, you, with, with the talent that you have at wide out and with Montez at quarterback, I, I don't think this is a game where you can establish the run. I, I think that you should, come up with some more creative play calling and, and try it and air it out as much as possible. Yeah. What's Rob, what's Oregon's past defense ranking. So this is, this is a really fun matchup actually. So this is the number four defensive effective pass versus the number eight offensive effective pass and beta rank. So this is definitely a game to watch because Oregon has been fairly consistent in the secondary for some guys that I think last year we weren't necessarily sure that they were going to take the step forward. They definitely have, um, and they're they're going to have their hands full, you know, especially if Chenault plays. But you know, Brown and Nixon have had some games, and if Chenault plays, it's going to be uh, it's going to be quite the, the show there. Because Montez, he he looked a little off. I think Marcel Yates ha- has started to figure out some confusing coverages um, that can help, even though he doesn't have much of a pass rush going there. But Montez, he's going to have to get the ball. He's going to have to lot to be a lot sharper than he was against Arizona. I want to say that Nixon got banged up. I'll have to go back and look at that because um, they haven't updated all the injury reports. Like I try to, I try to look at those before we record every week, and it's just tough because we do it on a Sunday. Um, so we'll make sure to tweet that out if Nixon's out as well. Oh, I was going to say one more thing. It's interesting though that um, this is easily going to be Oregon's toughest test, just because they played Bo Nix in his debut in Week One. And then they played uh, Nevada and Montana and then Stanford with a hurt KJ Costello and then Devin Monster. So I think Montez is a big upgrade from that. So no, I agree with, I think that this could be a fascinating matchup and, and we'll see, we'll see if Oregon's uh, secondary can, you know, step up when they're facing a different caliber of quarterback and receiver. It seems like they'll be able to hold Colorado. Let's pretend that they hold them to 17. My biggest question is how many points can Oregon score with just this, this, this atrocious play calling? I don't know. Like they should be able to stop on Colorado, right? Like they have the talent. Um, I, I, they have the quarterback and I just don't know. And like you mentioned with CJ Verdell out, uh, I don't know. 20 and a half seems a lot, Rob, I'm going to throw it to you first. Who are you taking? I mean, I, it's tough because as you mentioned, like Oregon grades out, I don't know why they keep trying to run the ball. They're at 73 in effective rush. Colorado's at 45 in effective rush. They're at 126 in effective pass. Oregon's at 28 in effective pass. Just throw the ball in this game. Like don't be an idiot and you will win by four touchdowns. Um, I don't know. I don't necessarily trust. <laughs> I don't trust Cristobal in Arroyo not to be idiots, I guess. Like I'm going to take Colorado, but I'm probably going to change my mind. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Max? 20 and a half. Woo, that's a lot. Oh man. I, I have, I mean, I'm going, I'm going Oregon here. Um, I, I just think that this matchup, like with the Cal Oregon, I, I just thought that that wasn't a good matchup because I thought that Cal would slow the game down. And, and so, and Oregon would too Colorado, you have to air it out. And if they don't, I, uh, like just just send Marcus Arroyo to the Sun if they, if they don't <laughs> air it out often. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean definitely at under three touchdowns. I, I think it's Oregon. Um, I yeah, I I think that Oregon just blows them out, and this is kind of like a Nevada two point oh. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, I'm gonna take Colorado, and I don't like it, but I just 
I don't trust this coaching staff to score enough points to stomp on a team like Colorado. And I'll probably regret that, but I'll take the points. It's a lot. And uh, the problem is Colorado is so banged up. So I understand the risk that I'm taking with that. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, it seemed like they, the backups were at least trying in regards to they were putting up a fight. Obviously, the secondary is a mess. And let's find out if Arroyo is willing to throw it into that secondary. So with that, let's move on to Saturday, 1230 at Pac-12 Network. Washington State is a two and a half point. I'm sorry, two and a half point dog on the road at Arizona State. And both these teams were off, so we don't have a game to break into. But let's let's talk some advanced stats here with both these guys. I think the biggest story before we do that is Tracy Clay's the defensive coordinator for Washington State flat out just quit after those two uh, games. And so I don't know who's calling the plays. I hope it's not Mike Leach because he's terrible at it in terms of a defensive focus. But um, actually, let me throw that to you first, Max. What? How on earth do you cap a team that just fired the defensive coordinator and you have no idea? I'm sure we know who's going to be calling the plays, but it um, doesn't seem like it's anybody too promising right now. Yeah, no, I definitely think it's nice that they had a buy so that way they could adjust to the changes. But yeah, for, I mean, first team or first game with a new defensive coordinator, that that's never easy. Um, but this game is interesting to me just because you would assume that the best, uh, way to defend the air raid is by running the three, three, five, which is what Arizona state has. And I mean, just looking at, um, the numbers for long explosive, uh, rush plays and long explosive pass plays allowed Arizona state's really good at limiting explosive runs, but limiting explosive passes has been a completely different story. And I was surprised to see that because at first I, I thought I was going to end up taking ASU as the favorite. And I don't, I, I kind of, I, I like this matchup for Washington state. Uh, I, the defense has major questions and they're definitely going up against an improved uh, Arizona state offensive line. And I'm really scared about them trying to tackle, you know, Benjamin, but I don't know, Arizona state, like what, what, what I've been harping on this pod, it's one of those teams where you fade them as a favorite and you back them as an underdog. And I, I, I just think with Washington state two losses and, and they were outclassed in the Utah one, they were embarrassed in, in the choke job against UCLA. And now they have a buy to recoup, uh, against a, a pass defense, even though it's three, three, five, that is very, uh, average at limiting explosive plays, uh, through the air. Uh, I'll go, I'll go with the kooks here. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Arizona State because we haven't been covering it as much in the past. Like, clearly, they've had some decent wins. I tend to lean towards Washington State because I always lean towards Washington State, Rob. But I, I really would like to see the advanced metrics here because clearly Herm has something going there in Tempe. That's a team that's starting to, to figure out what they what they're doing. But that secondary, I'm so worried, like Max had mentioned about giving up explosive plays in the past defense. What where are they on the defensive side and where are they in general in, in beta rank? So, Brian, I have I have news. Washington State's defense is one of three Pac-12 defenses in triple digits. They are at 100 in beta rank. Oh, really? um, they are uh, they what they really 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 suck at most is negative drives. They don't cause three and outs. They don't cause turnovers. They they grade out at 126 there. Um, they are at 67 against the rush, but they're at 120 against the pass. Um, and Arizona State. They've been, they've been, 
they, they, I think they still want to establish this identity as a run team. They definitely found it a little bit more of their groove with that, with Cal. Um, they're 78 running the ball, number 36 throwing the ball, however. Um, and they're at number 62 on offense. They're, so the, these teams, like the model really does like the Sun Devils here uh, at home. It's got them as just over nine, 9.02, uh, 0.02 uh, favorite. I'm sorry, they're 74% win probability in this oh, wow. game. The, the the tough thing for Washington State here is that, I mean, it's can you put up enough points to really keep up with what Arizona State's probably going to do against your defense? Because with that, with those numbers covering the past, I mean, Ayuk, Darby, Williams, I mean, yikes, they could have a field day. Against yeah, but, all, but it's also State Daniels. Defense. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. Okay. I am like, I am all in on the wide receiving core of, of Arizona State, also Washington State, but, but Arizona State as well. I just don't know if Daniels is going to be you know, stepping on the throat and they're going to drop 35 on Washington state. I don't, as bad as that defense is, we've talked this whole podcast about Herm Edwards, keeping things close and just trying to play to win the game and running the ball a lot. Like, I think we're going to see a lot of, Eno Benjamin in this game. And if that's the case, that's got to favor Washington state, right? At least if, if you're the opposing coaching staff, but I would say maybe, I don't know. I'm not, I, I'm not taking the Cougs in this game. Um, I think it's a mess, you know, your defensive coordinator quitting midseason because it's it's really so bad and that there's there's no likelihood of turning it around. I mean, Washington State's offense grades out at 18, but Arizona State's defense grades out at 15 um, and where they struggle, where where Arizona State struggles is on drive efficiency. So they're they are pretty good at containing explosive drives. Uh, um, they're pretty good at, cre- you know, creating ex- uh, negative drives, number 10 and number 14 in those categories. But what I think that they really struggle with is that they, you can put together long drives against them. Washington state just doesn't do that. They're, they're at 115 and drive efficiency. They're, they're pretty much all big plays. They grade out at number five and explosive drive. So you're going to like Washington state's going to have to put a big place. I think they can. I mean, I think this offense is good. Can they hang with Arizona State though? Um, that I don't know. Like, like Arizona State, I I, I like them in this game um, and against this line. I'll go with the numbers. I just one more question here with you: Is Arizona State's pass defense? What is it? One more time. Arizona, I have it right in front of me. Arizona State's pass defense grades out at twenty-two. Washington State, of oh. course, grades out at number three. I mean, one yeah. of the best in the country throwing the ball. Um, I, I like though. I mean, Danny Gonzalez. Like, I, I like, I like him to put pressure on, um, on the quarterback. And I don't know if Gordon has had some moments where that can, you know, but he's he's not Minshew two point back there. Um, and I, I, I think you know that. That he could have some moments that really hurt the kooks here. Yeah, he's looked great, and then Utah made him look just sub subpar. I mean, not just from a Washington State standpoint, but it's like, oh my, that that does not uh, that was not the Aaron Gordon I had in my head going into that game, and I had bet on that game. So, all right, I'll, I'll trust the numbers on this time. I'll take uh, Arizona State a little bit begrudgingly, oh. but you know, I'm on. Yeah, what were you going to say, Max? Oh, I was going to say two other things. So, uh, Arizona State they really struggled. Uh, when they played Colorado and Tempe with Colorado going up tempo. And obviously that that's Washington state's bread and butter. So I think that's something to watch. And then, yeah, no, I mean, just with the line, I feel like the line itself, since it's two and a half, they're really the bookmakers. And in that game, I opened at one at circa. I think the bookmakers are daring you to take Arizona state. 
the fact that you're, you're thinking like, Oh, I only need a field goal to win this. And I mean, that's, that's honestly like part of it, just looking at the line itself. So yeah, no, just two more points for me. Yeah, that's good. Not feeling great about that pick. The one other thing to your point, Max, or or to to counter that your point would be, Colorado went up tempo and Arizona state wasn't expecting that. That was like the one of the things that they were doing is they're like, all right, let's get this going. And then they tried to adapt and all that stuff. So that will be expected coming in here. That doesn't mean they won't struggle against it though. Like they did with Colorado. So, all right, I'll, I'll take the numbers. I'll go with, uh, I'll go with Arizona state. Let's move on to a game. Let's put this game at the end. Let's, let's stick in the PAC 12 Saturday, five o'clock PM on the PAC 12 network. Utah is a 14 point favorite favorite on the road going to Corvallis against Oregon State. Oregon State, of course, coming off of a big win against UCLA on the road, dropping a 48-burger on UCLA's defense. And uh, and like we had mentioned, Rob, when beat writers are telling teams to run the ball against UCLA's defense, you should immediately say, please, please stop. <laughs> um, and here's, uh, here's Exhibit A. Jake Luton, 18 for 26, 285, but five touchdowns against UCLA's defense. And he also had 27 on the ground and a touchdown. So six total touchdowns for Jake Luton. You know who can be stopped? Isaiah High. 10 for 123 and three touchdowns. The rest of the team had eight receptions total. Hodgins had 10. Um, just had himself a heck of a game, and, and there was no answer really from Adazio or the uh, the defensive staff over at UCLA. Um, aside from the, oh my goodness, uh, we anticipated this happening, but it was still really fascinating to see it happen in real time, Max. What else jumped out for you when you were looking at this game? For Oregon State, UCLA? Yeah. Or- uh, I mean, so I guess what I was harping on with the pod was that, or last week when we were previewing was Oregon state had really strong tackle for loss numbers and UCLA did not. So I just felt that there would be a much better chance that Oregon state, since they were able to get or generate negative plays on defense, um, that they'd be able to get force UCLA in the second and third and longs more often. And that would be a better chance of getting UCLA off the field. And then also um, with Dorian Thompson Robinson uh, at the time, like I think he was questionable, but I, I kind of read it that he he was doubtful to play. And Burton actually, I, Burton played pretty well, uh, and he he ran the ball a decent amount too. I think he had like 15, 16 carries, but still not the threat that DTR was. And, and I think he averaged like under six yards of pass uh, against Oregon State's defense, which is which I guess is pretty <laughs> lackluster. But no, Oregon State it was. Uh, I mean, preseason, I was pretty high on them. I actually made their, when I did the PAC 12 win total best bets for SI, I made their uh, win total, which was over two, my best bet. And so we already didn't lose that one, which is nice. Uh, but I, I just think that the defense, it's still bad, but it's not, his, it's not historically bad. Like it was last year. And that's allowed them to stay competitive in a lot of these games. And, and the offense has, has made a jump. Like I, I think Isaiah Hodgkins, he, he could be an all American. Like he's, he's definitely first team all pack 12 so far. Um, Artavis Pierce has really stepped up. I feel like Jamar Jefferson has, has been kind of, he got injured earlier in the season. And I feel like now that they're facing the ball more through Pierce and the offensive line is good. I thought it was ridiculous that Oregon State's well fans want, or some of their fans want uh, Luton benched because he's he's looked competent at quarterback and that's really all you can ask for. Um, so I, I really like the offense. They've also benefited a lot from the schedule they faced. Like they played Oklahoma State, they played Holy, 
Kentucky, they've played Cal Poly, they've played Stanford, they've played UCLA. Those are not the best of defenses. And so it's definitely going to be a major step up facing Utah. Yeah, to your point, Max, the defense for Oregon State, three sacks, eight tackles for a loss. They definitely were putting the pressure on uh, the entire backfield for UCLA, and that will likely continue as Chip Kelly starts to put the pieces together if he can. Is this broken, Rob? Like UCLA, are they? Is this the end of the Chip Kelly era? I mean, it is. Somebody had tweeted out like Jonathan, Jonathan Smith and Chip Kelly have the same <laughs> the same record right now. Um, and when you just take a look at the discrepancy between the talent that they had acquired, the talent that they can acquire, the money available for those programs, like it is unacceptable. And there's a lot of questions that Chip Kelly. Uh, what is what? <laughs> what do you think, Rob? Is is he gone? He looks like is he's he, checked is he out tanking. I mean, is he tanking? Thinking <laughs> that there's like a number one draft pick at the end of this, because if it's un, it's, it's truly unbelievable to have, I mean, to have, have run out a team this bad given, given still the talent level. Cause when you go through that UCLA roster, sure. There's definitely some Island of misfit toys, you know, components to it, but those toys are still, far better recruits and, you know, we're far better physical talents than a lot of rosters have on them. And I think if you went around the PAC 12, there are a lot of coaches that would trade rosters with chip Kelly. Um, that said, I mean, I don't know what's like, I, I am, I don't think Azanaro's ever going to get that defense necessarily turned around. I don't have a lot of faith in that, but it's, it's shocking to see them at 58 and beta rank on offense. That's, just not where you expect chip Kelly to be They're They're currently at 77, the worst team in the pac 12 right now in beta rank. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be rough for, for the Bruins. I, I think I'm, I, I don't, I don't know that it's going to get any better for them. I mean, they're, they're, they're good enough to, to, to steal some, some, some games out there, but other than Colorado, they've already played everybody else. That's really kind of towards the bottom of the back, the, you know, the, the pack 12. So they're not going to have a bunch of easy games out there. They're, I mean, maybe Stanford, you know, like maybe that's a game they could pull out and win. Like it could be a very bad stretch to end the season. Yeah, it's pretty rough. Now I know that we don't have a ton of UCLA listeners, but I do know. So we have a lot of Utah listeners and we basically laid off of them for the last, uh, last week because they had a buy. Let's spend some time to dive into what this team looks like from an advanced metric standpoint, Rob, where does Utah rank and where do they grade out in beta rank right now? So Utah's currently at 26. Um, it's interesting. Their offense really sort of, I think they sort of woke up that, that loss at, at USC sort of woke them up a bit. Um, they grade out at number 17 right now. Andy Ludwig starting to get it rolling. It looks like a typical Andy Ludwig offense. They're not great at drive efficiency. They're at number 59, but they are pretty good at explosive plays. Number 29. Um, and they don't go three and out very often. They grade out at number seven there. Um, they're far better running the ball. Um, they grade out at number 18 there. Not all that's surprising given who they have their bed, their backs, but it's not just their backs like Ludwig. It almost looks like a, a triple option offense with the sort of uh, the handoffs that you have coming to the, the guys lining up in the slot. Um, they're number 45 throwing the ball. It's a little surprising. I would say that the defense isn't a little better, but I think, and I'll say that like, I, I think I had a little, a little too much faith perhaps 
um, and a nine. I mean, they're 26. So they're not bad. Or no, I'm sorry. They're 38. So they're not terrible. But I was expecting them to be better. What, what really stands out is they're at number 99 in drive efficiency. It, you can put together drives against this defense. They don't give up explosive plays. I mean, to their credit, they're great out at number 13 there. Um, but if 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 you if you can put together and string together a good you know you know, good plays and good drives. Like you can put up points on this defense. Um, and they're number 19 against the rush. I think their defensive line really does them some service there, but they only grade out at 68 against the pass. They've really got some work to do on the back end of that secondary. And then this is not a vintage. This is just, this is not a vintage Whittingham special teams. They grade out at one Oh six. That's really hurting them. They need to, they need to clean that up uh, considerably and get better there. Yeah, with that said, I mean, I, I still think they're the favorites for the Pac-12 South. They have a chance. Yeah, absolutely. Of, you know, it'd be interesting to see how they match up against Oregon. Um, we'll get there. We'll cross that bridge if they get there. But you had mentioned that their weakness right now is in the secondary. I would I would assume that they jumped up pretty high after that Washington State game because they looked great at making you know covering those Washington State wide receivers and making Gordon have to to make decisions quickly. You know, and that's what he does anyway. But they were just at least able to put some pressure on him, even though he gets the ball that so quick so 14 points is that's a lot of points on the road against that's any too many points. conference team yeah so i was wondering max do you feel the same what do you think about this matchup i mean i just think and and try, i i love i love this oregon state team they they, they are i'm three and oh betting on them this season but i just i don't love this spot like you're coming off uh first pac-12 win um since the colorado game and I think I think it was their first Pac-12, or I think it was their first Pac-12 win in regulation in like in, in a couple of years as well. I think it, um, I think since that Oregon game a few years ago that was the case. Um, and now you're facing and and they and they looked good against Stanford. They looked good against UCLA, uh, and they looked good against Hawaii. And and I, I'm not really a believer in any of those teams. Uh, and then you and then Utah. I mean, I, they're one of the best coach teams in the Pac-12. Um, if not the country and Kyle Whittingham with extra days of prep is usually pretty money. Uh, that's why his bowl, like his bowl record being what it is. It, it's, it's really a testament to how good he is with, with a lot of time to prepare. And so I think this is kind of a sell high spot for Oregon state for me. So I'm going to take the Utes, and I, and I, and I hate how many favorites I'm taking this week. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned the look, you know, the letdown spot. That was a big win. You know, it doesn't matter if it's TCLA for Oregon State to go on the road and win that game was a big deal for them. And then the the bye week. I I'm glad you mentioned that, Max, because I totally forgot about that. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give the points. I think I think this this screams oh no <laughs> for Oregon State. The one thing that I do give them credit for is the fact that um, I think Oregon State can pass on the secondary. But if you take a look at that last game against Washington State, I loved the change that Whittingham made from the, the USC game where he's like, we will press these wide receivers all day. And then, oh, no, we've given up a, a lot of yards and big plays to them to really adjusting against Washington State and putting together a defensive game plan that just shut that offense down. That was a stomping of Washington State. Um, I, I think they do the same here with 
with Luton and company, as much as I like Oregon State, I will um, I will give those points and take Utah and and I hope they win. I mean, we really do need like a really premier team and Utah. Hopefully they continue to to grab some momentum from that Washington State game. But Rob, it looks like you are going to give the points. Uh, yeah, Beta Rank only has Utah as a four point favorite. Uh, oh my here. goodness! I, yeah, this Whoa. is this is a yeah Oregon like people are people I think are overreacting to how bad UCL is UCLA is. Um, Oregon State absolutely has a terrible defense. I fully expect Utah to put up points in this game, but I also expect Oregon State to put up points in this game because they have put up points on everyone. Um, and Mahal, Jim Mahalchuk, who is their offensive line coach, has done a really terrific job with that Beaver offensive line. I, I think Oregon State loses the game, but um, loses by less than two touchdowns. Woo, dissension in the I ranks. Like that- the total open for this game at 62 and a half. That is a lot of points. 62. And, and, and I get it just because 62 no, no, points. And you think Utah is going to, Oh man. Like that's like, I, I don't like if I was going to set the line that high, I don't know if I would, or the over under that high. I don't know that I would have Utah by two touchdowns then. Huh? Okay. Well, we'll find out. We'll find out. Like, <laughs> and you're, and you're right. Like at the, you had mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, like, all of these games are going to be interesting basically from, you know, except for UCLA versus anybody, but, um, but this will be really fun to, to, uh, watch and, uh, we'll see if, if Utah can take care of business on the road, we have two more games and let's get to them right after this. All right. We're back. Washington fans. We didn't forget you. We didn't forget you. Um, rough loss. Now you got to go to the desert to play Arizona and Washington has not traditionally played well in the desert, whether it's in Tempe or Tucson. And this is still a really talented team. Uh, a young is interesting. Somebody was talking about their defense being a veteran defense. And like, like what are you talking what? about? Yeah, it was, it was one of the announcers. So like, are you kidding me? This is like the, the, this is the defense of tomorrow, not the defense of today is what, what they have right now, particularly in the secondary. But with all that said, been Rod Gilmore. Oh God, stabbing me in the heart. Yeah. I love that guy. But, uh, <laughs> um, so Washington plays at eight o'clock PM, not certain what station this is on yet, but they are a six and a half point favorite going into Tucson against Arizona. And let's talk a little bit about this loss here. Stanford 23, Washington 13, Jacob Eason, 16 to 36 with a touchdown and interception. And I believe Max, and you probably know better than any of us do that. I think, Eason's only thrown one touchdown against a power five opponent. Is that correct? Whoa. Well, I mean, I, well, let's see. He's only played three games against power five, but let's see. Well, yeah, because he didn't throw one against Cal. Um, and then USC, I, he, I think he didn't throw any against USC. So yeah, no, that, yeah, he didn't throw any against USC. So no, I, I believe it. I know it's only three teams. That's just, and, and good defenses for, I mean, kind of, we, we can, we can debate USC and, and I'm probably on the opposite side of that, but at least talented players on that USC defense. Um, and uh, like that front seven of Stanford looked really good. And I don't know if, if Rob, that was the Washington state offensive line that made them look really good, but my goodness, they were able to pressure uh, Eason and make him look bad and stuff some of those runs. And um, I don't, I, I don't know what to make. I don't know what to make of that game. Was it just a fluke Stanford winning, you know, having their one moment in the sun, or is this, is this more red flags for a Washington team that, um, that has the talent, but certainly has some youth as well. 
it was a it was a bit of a face plan from Washington. The the model did not grade that game out and give Stanford a massive bump on defense. So they Stanford's defense grades out at 72 after that game um, there, they do grade out significantly better than where they were grading against the past. So they do get a bump there. So they're up to 96 there and they were up in the, you know, 113 range uh, coming into the game. But it's odd because everybody, uh, everybody threw on Stanford and they were not afraid of throwing it at Evo. Um, Washington certainly did not. <laughs> they, they really struggled. They ran the ball pretty well when they did run the football. It's, it's interesting when you see that Easton stat line um, and then you look down and like the, the, the running backs, you know, were able to put up a decent amount, you know, per carry. They really should have run the ball more than 22 times in the game. Um, given given the way things were going, but they really decided to stick with Eason and and trust him to win the game for them, and it it really did not work. Max, any other thoughts on Stanford Washington? It's just ugh, like that. That's such a well, I mean, such a gut wrenching loss. Like if if you're a Washington fan, because the expectations were high. Yeah, and I actually, I don't think that this was a fluke at all. If anything, Stanford could have won by more if, if David yeah. Shaw understood math. Because Stanford uh, kicked the field goal twice on fourth and goal from the two. And That's right. I so, forgot about that. Yeah, no, if, if anything, Stanford probably should have won by more than 10 points. And no, I'm with Rob. I, I think that this was just a total face plant job by Washington because I, I'm not a big believer in, in Stanford, but they totally play, outplayed Washington in that game. Stanford um, ran for 189 against, I mean, Stanford hasn't run the ball well all season. Yeah, years. Last year they sucked, man. And it's Scarlet, right? It's not like this was Bryce Love in 2017. You know, like oh yeah, he'll get his. Like Cameron Scarlet's fine, but he's not. He's not going to blow the world on fire. And and that that was the case in this game. It seemed like he. It was five yards, five yards, five yards. Five, like it wasn't like he was exploding. It's like oh, 25 yards from Cameron Scarlet here, and oh, a 50 yard run. It just seemed like they were just grinding. Max, was that was that your impression? Well, I, I think what Stanford did really well early in the game before, well, I mean, Mills played a lot of the game before he got hurt, but they had, they implemented like a lot of play action, a good amount of screens. And, and I think that really, you know, threw Washington's defense off. And so I think with the, with the success with play action, and, and it's kind of telling that Mills had 9.8 yards per attempt, uh, they were able to run the ball. Uh, effectively just because, you know, Washington had their ears up thinking, Oh, this could be probably another play action. And, and Scarlett ran really hard. Like there were some plays where he was like stopped, like maybe after a yard, but he was grinding and got a few extra yards, especially on a couple key uh, conversions for first downs. So I, I, I just think that Washington's defense was just thrown off. And I mean, they, they had that one brutal busted coverage um, where Stanford yeah. got a long touchdown. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I, I think that I like Washington, like Washington under 10 was my other PAC 12 best bet. So it's not like I was really high on this team, but I don't think that they're uh, nearly as bad as what they showed against Stanford. And I know that the road woes are going to be a topic of discussion, especially with how they played in Ari- in the state of Arizona. But this, kind of screams by low spot to me mm, yeah i want to get into that one one highlight for washington fans and then one just brutal injury but levi uh on that guy 
ran down one of the Stanford running backs. And I was like, my dear sweet Moses, that, that guy is awesome. Um, and he's always been an athletic freak. And it was just fun to watch that play where he just is just trekking down and ends up getting the guy. It was, it was really impressive. Um, the, the one other thing though, is, uh, Richard Newton, who is the freshman running back that I really liked. I thought he runs hard. He's a big guy. Like I, I think he's going to be somebody that will be a running back at Washington for a number of years that people will remember. Um, I just, he, he really has showed out. But it looked like he broke his leg. I mean, he was walking off the field without any pressure on it. I think it was his left leg as he left. And that was just a bummer because he was very promising and was one of the bright spots in that game. Rob, what what do your numbers say here? Because I, I Max seems like he's going to want to take Washington um, in Tucson. I... I just I can never pick Arizona like I, I for whatever reason I'm just such a jaded fan <laughs> like of Arizona football it's really difficult for me to pick uh, Arizona games uh, but I do know I've just seen Washington play poorly over and over and over again uh, in the desert but I'm sure the math doesn't show that so what what how do these teams match up so it's the number 19 team in beta rank versus the number 48 team. Uh, so Washington is the higher ranked team there. Beta rank sees this uh, as, as a game that Washington definitely should win. They, they have a 74% win probability, but they're only a four and a half point favorite in the model in this game. Um, and I, that, a lot of that, of course, is Arizona gets the home field advantage. When you look at this on a, a team basis, like a, what they're, what they're really good at, Washington's offense grades out at 28. You know, they're, they're, they're not great at drive efficiency. It's something they definitely have to work on. They have to be better at putting together long drives. It's something they struggled with last season. They're, they're okay. They're better at explosive plays. They're at number 41 there. What they're good at is they don't go, they don't go three and out or turn the ball over a lot. So that's a bonus there. So they grade out 12 there. They're, they're a balanced offensive team. Um, and I think this is something that, that Peterson, you know, tends to lean into a little bit. They're number 36 rushing the ball, number 32 throwing the ball. They're going against an Arizona defense that is number 41 in effective rush. And they're number 53 against the pass. Um, Arizona's had numbers against the run have significantly improved as well as against the past, you know, since that Hawaii game came off the books, um, Arizona's at number 42. They, they, they really started to, I mean, you could say bear down. They've gotten a lot better at, um, containing explosive drives. So they graded out at number 34 there. What they really stink at is they're, they're number 72 at creating three and outs and getting turnovers at negative drives. So it's something they really have to clean up there. I think though, that if, if this game is going to really be pac 12 after dark, um, and this is like way after dark. <laughs> hey, PM. Hey. Yeah, it's going to be um, it's going to have to be Khalil Tate. Um, so this is the number 38 offense uh, against the number 30 defense. Uh, Arizona is absolutely terrible at drive efficiency. They are all big plays. So they they're, they're great at number 42 and explosive drives. They're number seven in, in play efficiency. Um, and they don't go three and out very often. So they're number 14 there, which really helps things out because their, their special teams haven't been great. So they do need to avoid three and outs to, to not get their defense in bad field position. 
they are number 35 throwing the ball. And that is two very good performances back to back from Gannell and Tate sort of shifting this, uh, this, uh, how this offense works away from the run a little bit. Um, Washington's 25 against the pass. They're number 37 against the run. I would say Arizona might have to lean into the run a little bit here and be able to have Tate run the football with, you know, accepting the, the, the chance that he might end up taking an injury in this game. But I mean, if we think back to the times that Washington has really struggled against Arizona, it's usually when they have uh, the Arizona's dual threat quarterback, you know, has a big game. And I, I don't think Arizona is good enough to win without a, a big game, you know, taking care of the football from Tate, both throwing and running. Ugh. That makes a more compelling case for Arizona on my end. But um, I don't know. Like the, the one thing that really holds me back is Khalil Tate in big games. Traditionally, not great. Not like tends to want to do too much. And if you watch that Colorado game, the run back turn cross body through the air, like I think he's going to have one or two of those. And it's just whether or not they get picked off or not. Yeah, I, Max, I know you're leaning towards towards Washington. Why is that the case? No, I, like I, like what I said before, I, I just think this is a buy low spot for Washington. Um, the odds makers opened this game, I, I think at nine. I, I could check, but it was definitely higher in the public bet it down, just because obviously Washington has the late game. That was like the, the one major late game on. So a lot of people, I would think, who watch college football, like saw um, Washington really struggle against Stanford. I just think. I, I think Arizona's defense is definitely very susceptible to explosive plays. And so I think that Eason can definitely take advantage. And I, I also think Washington's defensive coordinator, Jimmy Lake is one of the best in the business and that he'll find a way to slow down Tate and Arizona's offense. Okay. All right. Um, I'll, I'll take the points. I'll take Arizona in this game and I'll also do it begrudgingly. There aren't a lot of lines this week where I'm super excited about, but, uh, and we have one more. Anything else on Arizona, Washington, before we jump to USC, Notre Dame? No, I'm good. No. All right. Well, Saturday, 4.30 p.m. on NBC, USC is an 11 and a half point dog on the road at Notre Dame. And I've watched a lot of USC Max, but certainly not as much USC as you have. And I have not watched a lick of Notre Dame. I know that you have a much broader perspective of the college football landscape without knowing anything about Notre Dame. I would immediately want to take Notre Dame, <laughs> but I don't know a ton about them or how they match up against USC. What do you see here? Well, I, I guess like first glance at this line is that I, I would think that the public would think that this line is low and I, I don't blame like, like I, I don't know, like Notre Dame, like they, they look good against Georgia. Uh, they, they, they actually had a chance to win that game, even though I feel like Georgia was just trying to like, strew, like they, they were like a, a snake, like, um, giving Notre Dame like a slow death, something like that. And, and it actually almost backfired, but I, I thought Georgia was the better team, but Notre Dame played a lot better than I thought in that one. And then, um, and then USC, I mean, their last game was Washington. And I think, I think, well, I know, I know I definitely took uh, Washington uh, as a, as a favorite there. I think you guys did too. But what I was really alarmed by with that game, was I didn't even think Washington played that well, and they still won that game easily. They won. They won by fourteen. Uh, that USC has a bye, but that doesn't really mean anything with Clay Helton as your coach. Um, and and it'll and it'll be interesting to see because I mean, I, I Slovis I think should play. He's listed as questionable, but he's definitely an upgrade over Fink. The problem, I mean, the problem with USC is, is their defense is 
it's really bad at limiting explosive plays. Uh, it just seems like every third and long, they, they, they somehow give one up. And, and one thing that I think uh, that was screaming regression for USC was that they, at least before the Washington game, I'm not so sure anymore now, but they were the leading power five team in opponent red zone trips allowed per game. But they didn't, but they were a really good uh, bend don't break defense because they, their touchdown uh, percentage allowed in the red zone was really good. And that's something that could really cost them against really good teams like Notre Dame. Uh, I just, I, I look at Notre Dame's numbers. They are tied for eighth in the country of uh, scrimmage plays that go for at least 20 yards. And they're tied with the likes of Alabama and LSU. So you wouldn't think that this is a very explosive offense, but um, Notre Dame has been. And I think that's really uh, bad for USC defense. uh, That's really struggled um, limiting the big play. And they definitely get, uh, well, besides Slovis, I mean, they didn't have, their amazing safety town against Washington. They didn't have Elijah Griffin, their top cornerback against Washington, but I just feel like the jump from Washington and Notre Dame, it's, it's even, that's even a jump. So I feel like this is a trap. I think that the odds makers want you to take Notre Dame. And I definitely wouldn't be surprised to see USC uh, get off to a good start. That just seems to usually be a theme (laughs) With USC, like they'll get off to a good start and then implode later. Um, but I, I, I think I lean Notre Dame in this game. You got Slovis on the road, and certainly didn't look great against BYU. They were able to do a lot of stuff that confused him. It's been now four weeks since he came came off of his Tom Brady game <laughs> against Utah. Um, what do the numbers say here, Rob? Because I really want to take Notre Dame, but I also like this is a rivalry game. I know USC is going to get there. They're going to be hyped up. Uh, there's a lot. This is the backs of the wall. You know, look what everybody's writing about us, blah, blah, blah. I could see a scenario where they don't win, but they lose by nine or lose by 10 and Clay Helton or, or lose by five. And Clay Helton's like, well, we, we gave it a good college try. Like, keep me around. So I'm, I'm wondering what the math says, though. So Notre Dame comes at number 18. Uh, USC is number 31. Notre Dame has a 66% win probability in this game. They're a seven and a half, just over seven and a half point favorite in beta rank. What I like about this game, if you're an Irish fan, I guess is Notre Dame's defense. Um, Their offense, though, isn't great. Um, Their offense comes in at number 37. USC is number 40. Notre Dame's had some big plays, but against some really, really bad competition. So they're number 56 in explosive drives. Um, they're, they don't really grade out well at all running the football. Number 62, USC is number 39 stopping that. But Notre Dame's been better throwing the football, number 26, and USC not great there, number 45. Um, but I it's not, it's, it's one of those ones where I think when you look at these two units, this Notre Dame offense, isn't going to overwhelm you unless they have great field position. Um, If you flip it to the other side of the ball, that's where I think you sort of, you feel good. If you're an Irish fan, Uh, their defense comes in at number 13, you can drive on them. They grade out at number 81 and drive efficiency. So if you can put together big, you know, a long drive, you can get points. Um, we have to be highly efficient because they're number 10 at containing explosive drive. So that's, that's a big thing for me in this game is that if 
USC has made their their hay offensively with big plays. They're they're at number twenty four in explosive drives. That I, I don't know. I mean, if we saw it against Washington, Washington consistently dropped eight, gave up. I mean, USC ran ran the ball really well at Washington, but it was because Washington's defense allowed that to happen and really took away the pass from Fink. Um, I think Notre Dame probably, like, I would hope with a bye week, USC has time to come up with something else. Um, we'll see. And Notre Dame forces a ton of three and outs. They're at number nine and, and three and outs and turnovers uh, with uh, negative drives. USC grades out at 71 there. I mean, they, they can get themselves off the field pretty quickly. Notre Dame's at 12 against the pass. That's really USC's strength. They're number 11 there. But Notre Dame is also good against the run, number 24. USC does not grade out well, even with that Washington game in the mix. They're at number 83. I'd say the the thing that sort of gives me pause, I think it's – I do think USC gets up for this game. I mean, I, I think Notre Dame is up for this game too. I just I, – I have never seen Brian Kelly. Like Brian Kelly can and will slow it down. His teams tend to win but not dominate, and I – I just I hesitate. Like I'm going to take USC with the, 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 with uh, with that. I'm actually that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to take the eleven and a half, and I'm not going to take it now. I mean, I'll take it on this podcast, but I'm hoping that number gets up to twelve or thirteen um, as the public piles on. We'll see. I mean, it might get bet down because people like the name USC or whatever. But um, it would be nice to see that bump up a little bit more before I take those points. Uh, and Max, it sounds like you're taking. Are you going to take the Irish? I, I guess for me, like, it's just, I, I have to see who, how, like, who's playing. Like if, if yeah. USC's top guys are not injured, like I, I, like I lean Notre Dame to start, but I'm not going to make a pick for, I'm, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm probably not going to make a pick for this game until later on in the week. That makes sense. Max, as we wrap up the podcast, you have done an excellent job identifying over-unders in some of these games that stand out for you. And um, I, I, the Conger family of five thanks you for, for pointing those out. I think you're 3-0 and or 4-0 and on the podcast with your over-unders. Anything this week that stands out for you? I, I mean, let me, let me just – I guess I'll, I'll go game by game for Pac-12. So first is Oregon, and Oregon-Colorado is 57 right now. That game is probably like I would lean under in that game, but I'm not. Yeah, that that doesn't really jump out. The one I was really hoping for was a Utah Oregon State in the in the fifties, but I, oddsmakers got it right, putting it in the in the low sixties. And I, I like I think that that it's like a little high, but I, like I'm not rushing to play the under in that because I just think that Utah. I mean, they got so many explosive plays against that Washington state defense. And I think it'll be the same deal, especially if Zach Moss comes back. And I, I read that Utah is hopeful that he's back for this game. Uh, and then we have Washington, Arizona. That game is at 60 and a half. That game. I think I like the under there, but it feels that could be like a wonky pack 12 after dark game. And, and <laughs> those are usually kind of pretty high scoring. But yeah, no, it's interesting to me. Like if, if you guys, and because Utah, Oregon state and Washington, Arizona are basically are, are the same total. Does one of those games like scream to you as like that game is going to be much higher scoring than the other. What do you think, Rob? I mean, I, I think you're right. I think Utah is going to be able to put up a ton of points against that uh, Oregon state defense. Um, that one could definitely go over. I think, 
I, I would say Washington, Arizona, but like I say that, and it's probably going to end up being some like slog, <laughs> some just brutal slog. <laughs> um, I could see, I could see the USC Notre Dame game going that way, going over. Um, if depending on who plays for USC with, with Arizona, Washington, I just, I don't see a scenario where Washington blows out Arizona in Tucson. I, I, I just think that it's going to be, I think they're going to have to earn that one. And I understand like, you know, earning it against Arizona's defense could be (laughs) dropping a 35 bomb on, on it. But I, I just see a scenario where Washington is grinding out a win in Tucson and you know, their defense is good. Their defense is still good. So Khalil Tate's going to have to earn it on his end too. So if that, if that's in the high sixties or the low sixties, that would, that pops out a little bit more than the other ones. And then there's also, well, Washington State, Arizona State opened at 57. And I know that that's the noon game, but Washington State, first game with new defensive coordinator. Arizona State's been pretty middle of the pack at limiting 10 and 20 yard throws. Uh, and Arizona, I, I like the improvement along Arizona State's offensive line. I don't know. Not, I mean, at first glance, none of these totals really scream out. I, I feel like if I had to pick, I, I feel like that. I feel like the Washington Arizona game goes under. All right. Well, well, let's keep it there. We will continue to to send out our picks as the lines move throughout the week. Again, thank you for tuning in. Twelve Pack Radio at gmail dot com or follow us on Twitter at one two pac radio. Congratulations to our winner of the official third annual Pac twelve Eliminator Pool. Uh, Kenneth, hit us up on either email or Twitter, and we will get you that gift certificate to StubHub. And thanks everybody for listening. If you like the podcast, leave a review. That's actually really important for us right now as we continue to grow. Um, a lot of new Pac. 12 podcasts on there so if you really dig the content uh take the two minutes to click there you don't even have to write a lot if it's funny i'll read it on the the air but like we we definitely could use the help so thanks again and we will catch you later